Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what astonishes us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you start. What's astonishing you this week? I am astonished by the anniversary of my ordination on oh, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I am doing this work amazes me considering, and you know what this like is like, um, not growing up in a real churchy family. Right. Um, the fact that I'm doing this work is still amazing to me. Uh, the route uh, that God took me on to get here is astonishing to me. You know, having um, joined this congregation in Memphis, Tennessee, that is a very affluent white um, the building is this um, gothic structure fortress fortress <laughs> yes um, and I remember the first time I I worshiped there I pulled into the parking lot I think I was a sophomore in college I was driving this car with a diesel engine paint chipping off blue smoke coming out of the back and you know everyone is pulling up in a high-end car and <laughs> I remember opening the door and thinking I don't belong here. Like mm-hmm. I said that to myself and I closed the door. And I think it's the first time that I really genuinely heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit said, if I'm worshiped here, you belong here. Okay. And I remember taking a deep breath because I didn't want to do it. I took a deep breath and I saw um, a couple, an older couple, uh, walking across the parking lot. And uh, they were there because it was homecoming and they hadn't been in that church for years. And uh, they had been, they were visiting from Little Rock, I believe. And I asked them if they could show me to the sanctuary. They said, of course. And you're sitting with us. Yeah. And they were so kind and wonderful. I never saw them again. Yeah. Um, And I went back the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. And eventually I joined that congregation, which is astonishing to me because I went home from Bethel College that summer and I literally, this will take you back, down the yellow pages, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who does that anymore? Right? I just opened up the yellow pages and started visiting churches. Um, and I remember going to some, literally, I would walk through the front door and the members of the congregation would turn and look at me and I would get this vibe as if, They were Mm -hmm. saying, why are you here? Mm -hmm. Right. Black man. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would leave immediately. And I thought, oh, this is, I just don't want to do this anymore. And so the fact that, um, you know, I, I became a member of Idlewild Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, was loved by that congregation, nurtured by that congregation. Every year on the anniversary of my ordination, I just remember them, um, and this is the 20th anniversary of your ordination. Yes, yes. I, I think that is such an, an interesting story. It, it's an example for me of like being astonished by something that is so obvious. But like, I just think we forget that, um, that people, <laughs> that our churches have a spiritual atmosphere. And I, I am not a woo-woo person. Like, I don't like it when people start talking about energy. Like, mm-hmm. I may, I'm immediately mm-hmm. suspicious of any of that. And yet, obviously, 
as believers who worship a real but invisible God, like, I mean, a, a, a fundamental principle for us is that what is visible is often not what is most That's real, right? right? right. And That's so right. obvious, like Captain Obvious, this idea that visitors, you know, people who are who are led by God into our congregation, one of the things that they will know right away, they will know. If they're welcome. They'll know if they're welcome. And so yes. the reality is like a Part of being ready is is thinking about practical things mm. with great intention because that's how we express our sincere desire to welcome people. So, you know, where is the signage and 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 how are we, you know, being thoughtful about what we put in the bulletin and are yeah. we always yeah. talking in worship as if people are out there who matter who have never done mm. this before? And yeah. so I'm trying to explain what we're doing. So all of those like very tangible practical things matter. But what also really matters for everybody in the congregation is. What is your heart towards people who are seeking God? And and what is your heart when you see someone? Is your is your internal private thought kind of oh crap? Mm-hmm. Like, do we want more people like them? Yeah. Or is your is your heart, you know, Lord, am I to go? You know, it just mm-hmm. matters every single yeah. person in the room, yeah. not just the people who are at the door or the pastor, but the people in the room matter. It is a spiritual community. And if we don't think it's a spiritual community, then what in the world are we doing there? Like, why aren't Mm -hmm. we at brunch? Mm -hmm. But I think particularly Presbyterians, like we sometimes forget that, or it makes us uncomfortable that no, this is supernatural realm that we're dealing with. And, And so if you don't want people there, They'll know it. They will, they will know, it. know it, even if they're not aware mm-hmm. that they know it. And so I think for every person to really examine their own mm-hmm. heart and say, you know, am I am I generous about yeah. sharing this community that I love with other people or not? And and inviting, just doing some wrestling around that. Because a lot of our churches, they they don't, they don't, they just yeah. don't One want new things, people or what? new people that don't look in a way that makes them comfortable Absolutely. or show up in a way that yep. makes them comfortable that, you know, the right people, it's more like, I say this all the time. Like I was in a sorority in college, which was a great experience for me. But, um, like a lot of times walking into a church is the visceral memory I have mm. is, is rush, mm. right? All wow. these people smiling at you, wow. like wanting to convince you that this place is the very best place. And wouldn't yes. you be lucky to be a part of it? And also we'll see. We'll see, yeah. right? And just a lot, that is the, the that mm-hmm. is what I connect with. It is not often in churches an experience of like, oh, this must be what the kingdom of God will be like this way. Or like, yeah. I don't know you, yeah. but you are my Ken, or we have mm-hmm. this deep, you know, and that's me walking into churches as a visitor, but I'm walking in as an ordained pastor, usually in another mainline congregation, mm-hmm. right? Like that. Mm-hmm. And and I still just feel like, oh, these people are looking at me. Mm-hmm. Oh, these people don't want me here. Oh, they're wondering, like, where is my husband or mm-hmm. where am I? You know, like I, and you, maybe I'm being paranoid, but I, I'm not exactly a shy violet. Right? <laughs> so what? just... I mean, people know. It's just amazing that people know. One of the things we talked about on Sunday was um, the vibe we can give off of 
using people. Like, yeah. come and fill our pews so we feel better about the future of our church. Come and be a part of our program. Oh, so you're we a feel teacher? Better. Could you come and t- I mean, you yes. know, we're just automatically yes. trying to figure out yes. what, like, like, like they're a car and we're just picking them for parts to see. Yeah, no, I totally get it. But I love what I love in your story is it's not always the communities that we think of that we expect will be the most welcoming that actually are. Right. So, you know, if you were writing a screenplay of that story, you walking into that very privileged white church, what, what we would expect to happen would be for you to feel rejected or for you to be rejected. And yes. free. But instead, you know, the, the Lord really led yes. you to a place and they loved you well. And yeah, I mean, and, and I God found was, out later that this particular congregation was very involved in the civil rights movement right. in Memphis. And I mean, I, I had no idea going in and other congregations that I visited, some of them were Historically white congregations in the neighborhood around them had changed to become African-American Latino. And I thought, oh, well, these people will, this will be the welcome. And it wasn't the case. And so, yes, I was surprised. Surprised. Wow. That's a a great story. So what's astonishing you? Um, I I feel like I tell a version of this a lot. Um, But it's good. Well, I I was telling you on the walk that um, there's lots of little snippets of Mary Oliver floating around lately after her death and and one of her poems starts off something like you know how to how to make a life and mm. step 1 is to pay attention step 2 is be astonished and step 3 is tell about it and so i i feel like part of we've talked about this it's the spiritual practice of noticing what god is doing in a congregation and celebrating that and and leaning into that instead mm-hmm. of whatever i'm tempted to try to manufacture for god and so um, I'm sort of astonished at my own <laughs> slowness and at just the incredible movement of the Holy Spirit among the people in the congregation. So this this past week, um, just a lot of people have been really sick mm. with the flu, um, like ending up in the hospital mm. and just kind of scary. And um, a lot of times I'm finding out about it, you know, days days later. And I mean, there's no, you know, yuckiness in that. Like it's not a trap or anything, but no. I just, I just don't know about it. And some, and, and actually all, most of these people have been fairly new members of the community. Mm. And so I, I had found out about two newer mem- no, ish members of the community who had been in the hospital or who were in the hospital from the flu. And I found out on Friday, which was the day I was trying to take off. And I, and I just was kind of immediately into like, okay, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get to them? How am I going to, we need to take them soup. We need to do some things. And, um, we, we had had a leadership meeting, um, a really great session with leaders on Thursday night. And, and this just really incredibly beautiful woman in our congregation had made this soup for all of the leaders for us to eat. And there had been a lot left over and she had been talking about taking it maybe to room in the end or, you know, anyway. And so I remembered she had made this homemade, like really healthy, nourishing soup. And so I called her to say, you know, Hey, we have some members and they're sick and could I I take them some soup and she said absolutely you know I'll bring it to the church tomorrow morning I'll have it ready to go into containers and then I'm and my mind like I'm flipping through my Saturday like okay I'm gonna take Callie to dance and then I'll run to the church with Carrie and I'll you know do this work in the sanctuary and I'll grab the soup and I'll drop it off drop it off and then get Carrie to her dance class and then we'll go you know I'm just and then all of a sudden it was really like you know the Holy Spirit just you know (laughs) it's like you know, shut up. (laughs) I just sort of hear God being like, gosh, I thought there were more people at the Grove than you Mm. and you Mm. and you. Mm. Like, too bad 
God, there's nobody else in the congregation (laughs) who knows me and loves me Mm. and understands when like, like, do you think maybe pastor you, so anyway, I called some people and I always have this curious feeling of almost like cheating. Like, like Mm. I'm not doing my job. Like I'm asking someone to do something that I should be doing anyway. So I called some people and, and of course they're like, yes, I would love to have an opportunity to be the body of Christ mm. to somebody in this congregation. And um, I, and so it's just one of those moments where I'm like astonished at how, I, I mean, literally the night before in this leadership training, we had been talking about like how we all need to be welcoming and we all need to take risks. And then how hesitant like I am to invite people into the ministry because I'm thinking like, oh, this person's too busy or they work mm. two jobs or they won't feel comfortable going to visit someone they don't know. And like, I just, I, anyway, so I'm astonished at myself. I'm also just astonished at like, God has sent, guess what? <laughs> God actually <laughs> keeps promises and sends people who are drawn by the gospel and want to be part of the gospel work. And when you just invite people to do that and stop buying into this like false martyr mm. complex thing that we were talking about that we kind of got in seminary in subtle and unsubtle ways, like you're the one pastor. And just, I mean, people show up all the time and they're like, oh, sorry to bother you, pastor. Or you're so busy. Or we know your life is terrible. <laughs> you're so like, busy. Yeah. My life isn't terrible and I'm not busy, right? Mm. But like if I'm doing my job well, then I mean, I have things to do. I have meaningful work to do, but I'm not doing all the ministry mm-hmm. in this place because that's blasphemous. And we have time for people. <laughs> right. And we and we have eyes to see mm-hmm. where we can invite other people into the work. And, you know, after church, I, again, following the theme, was like, hey, elders, we had communion on Sunday. Like, hey, will you, could, do you think we've got some people? Can you take communion? And my elders were like, absolutely. Like, where are the boxes? Like, yeah, let's go. And, yeah, I, yeah. and, you know, and again, I'm telling myself the story in my head of like, oh, they will feel uncomfortable or they won't be ready or they do so much already or I don't want to ask mm. too much of them. And I just realized like, oh, goodness, I'm holding people back. <laughs> um, and like, oh, goodness, it's astonishing and beautiful, not surprising, but just people are drawn to the to the grove because they are drawn to the mission and they want to be part of it. Yeah. And, and they want to serve. They want to serve. I mean, they want to serve more than I do. Like their hearts are more beautiful yeah. than my heart. Like they want to do this. Anyway, so I just... Well, and our job, Ephesians 4, to equip the, the saints, saints for, for the ministry. work of ministry. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I just... You know, I'm. It's a it's a double edged astonishment. <laughs> like I'm just sort of bemused at myself, at my propensity that literally on Thursday night I can be teaching this, mm. but on Friday I slip back into whatever false superhero dummy mode, and yeah. and then I need the Holy Spirit to tap me on the shoulder and go, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, and then I call people, and they're just so ready and to do things that matter, right? Like it it matters. Like, and of course people want to do this because it's amazing work. It's amazing. I mean, a little intimidating, but it's amazing to go into somebody's hospital room and pray with them. It's amazing. It's this huge, holy privilege. And I'm not good at it. The Holy Spirit is good at it, right? (laughs) One of the things I say in my elders training and remind our elders throughout the year of is that this is a get to. Mm-hmm. We get to do this. We serve at the privilege of our king. We mm-hmm. this is this is 
all privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And we are called to do this. This mm-hmm. is this serving is is something we get to do and Right. And the model is obviously, obviously Jesus sending out the 70 and they don't know Jack, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. they don't know what they're doing. They don't know really who Jesus is. They don't feel equipped. And they don't. Yet, and yet the Holy Spirit, imagine this, is totally capable yeah. of being God all by, God can be God all yeah. by himself, right? And I just think it's so interesting how we slip into this like professional mode mm-hmm. of like we're the professional pastor, professional Christian, and that's just so anathema to the gospel. And it, it anyway, so well, I... Well, and it goes with the consumerism of our time, right? right? So right. the consumerism mentality says that church members give money to receive mm. the professional and ministry of the clergy. Yes. Yeah, okay, so deviation, but... I, I was not really watching the Super Bowl on Sunday, but it was kind of on on Sunday. And I saw this one commercial. Did you see the Kia commercial? No. <laughs> okay. Well, there's this incre- this incredible, like, Yeah, the game was horrible. such a snoozer. I was I, know, I, I don't was care about football, right? Yeah. But um, I am wearing my Colin Kaepernick shirt to that. <laughs> yes, you, you know, are. Anyway, but um, so there's this commercial, and it's like one of those, like, documentary-type commercials with, like, mm. the music and the, like, beautiful pictures, and it's this young boy's voice, and he's clearly a rural child and he's talking about in my town like we're a bunch of unknowns and there's no stars on the sidewalk for us and we're you know we're not going to go do great things and we're overlooked but there but there is something about us we build great things and then all of a sudden it's like showing pictures of these cars like a Kia car and so the the message of the of the commercial is these people in this town they matter why because they make cars right and and I just think like that whole consumer culture, American, like this is the story that America is telling people. Like you can matter if you produce something that makes the economy run or if you are a valuable part of this multinational corporation. And our story is so different than that. Like you don't matter because you're famous. You don't matter because you're rich. Like you are, you matter for so much more than creating something that'll be in a landfill in 10 years, even if it's a beautifully engineered design car, right? Like God is inviting you into this supernatural reality redeeming work where you are invited to be filled by the Holy Spirit and bring healing and bring hope and bring like that's why all of us matter and that's all of our story and that's the counter story that we're preaching in our congregations and saying to people like why what story do you want to define your life is it you are what you buy and what you earn and what you know how many people know you or is it you're invited to be part of this grand story of redemption. You who have been redeemed That's by God cool. are sent out to be um, to be a part of God's redeeming. Not even to be used mm. by God. Not it's not even working through us. Like, but that we yeah. can you know chase behind the Holy Spirit and be in the room when yeah. the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. Anyway, That's good. Huge, huge diversion. Um, I'll just say really quickly what I'm thinking about. Um, as I, I was um, meeting with a friend in the congregation and um, doing a, um, a SWOT analysis um, of the Grove, like um, doing kind of a deep, hard look at strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. And um, I just, I know this, it's like, it's like, I don't know, I've never had a colonoscopy, but I feel like like that's what it is. It's this wow. thing that like really like taking a hard look at what 
you know, what isn't right and what matters Mm -hmm. and like, really like, how can we be better and how can we take responsibility? Um, it's, it's so, it's so challenging. Um, and, and it's interesting, like how, how sort of viscerally threatening it is for me and, and reveals, I think a lot of things about my unhealthy places where my self-worth is right. Like if my worth is really centered in Christ, then having a conversation, a good conversation about how we can do what we do, you know, better. Mm. I mean, that's not, I mean, that's nothing like that's not, but the fact that it's so challenging, um, is just, you know, I'm just kind of trying to pay attention Mm. to what that means. And, um, but also just feeling really led that you just have to continue. You never arrive, right? So, <laughs> poor Yolando. <laughs> oh, it's that time of year. Oh, so anyway, that's what I'm thinking about is um, how to both, you know, rest in the goodness of God and, mm. and not function out of anxiety, but also say there's good work to be done and that good work is done by um, looking at you know how we can how can we continue to grow and how can we pay attention to you know, weak places in our life together and not just say, oh, they don't matter or, you know, so that, that's what I'm thinking about. And, and it's hard. I just can't help but believe that you're walking through this analysis in a non-anxious way will be a model for others in your community. Well, I mean, I'm not walking through it in a non-anxious well, way. I'm, I'm trying are, to walk yeah. through it in a non-anxious way. And I'm really doing it in kind of a safe space. Like I'm doing it kind of privately by myself with another, you know, person. And and I think the challenge for me um, will be to center myself deeply enough to do it mm. with, with my elders mm-hmm. or to do it with, you know, but that's all right. I'm, I'm taking baby steps. and But I mean, I need to, because the reason I'm doing it is it's good to do and I need to come up with my objectives for the year that then I will take to the elders and Mm. say, how do these look for to you? Because they, in our model, like I'm accountable to them. And so they need to, you know, I'll submit goals to them and then they'll say, you know, yes, no, or, or whatever. But Mm. so I'm trying to do that work and I'm trying to do it, you know, well and faithfully Mm. and, um, not just coast on what God has done in the past, but to say, you know, that all flourished, because people were able to take really, were faithful enough to take really hard looks at, you know, places of brokenness right. and and unhealth mm. and um, and disease. And so I want to continue to do that because um, it's important. Well, because new life comes from repentance, that's right. and so I need to not be afraid of mm. that. So anyway, so that's what I'm thinking about. What are you thinking about? I am thinking about since it's February, Black History Month, and. Yes. Um, you know, in the past, my thinking about February and black history has been limited to basically the period of history between the transatlantic slave trade and uh, the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, the past few years, my mind has been going to really the early church. Like mm-hmm. I'm so, um, I just get so jazzed when I think about uh, these figures in church history that, you know, heard about in seminary, but when you see pictures of them, they're always presented as Europeans. And they're um, not. <laughs> like Augustine was uh, uh, an African and mm-hmm. um, and even some people in the biblical narrative, especially in the book of Acts, you know, you look at the church in Antioch and you have Africans uh, in, in that congregation and uh, in the narrative of the book of Acts, you have the gospel 
going to Africa before Europe, uh, Philip um, uh, converts the Ethiopian who takes uh, the gospel uh, back home to Ethiopia. That's before Peter uh, crosses over into Macedonia. And and that kind of thing has become really important to me. Uh, A figure like... um, Athanasius, I love Athanasius. Um, his his story, I, I love that he he grows up in this this Christian home, and uh, he's a boy. He's like twelve or thirteen, and um, he and some of his friends are playing on the beach, and they're playing church, mm-hmm. and the bishop of Alexandria hears them playing, and um, uh, Athanasius. Uh, pretends to give a sermon. Well, he gives a sermon. He preaches, mm-hmm. and then he goes through the baptismal liturgy, which mm-hmm. he knows by heart, mm-hmm. and he baptizes the kids. And And the bishop hears all this and says, you know, bring that kid over here. And um, he questions him about his faith, and Athanasius knows what he's talking about. And uh, the bishop says, you know those baptisms you just did on the beach? Those are valid. Mm-hmm. And so he grows up to be this great defender of the faith, uh, he's the one at the Council of Nicaea. He's defending um, uh, the the doctrine that Jesus is of the same substance mm-hmm. as the Father. And the that's, Lequi, is that what that, is that um, the word? Is that the homoousius? Is that homo- the, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, <laughs> Hopefully, our seminary professors aren't listening. Uh, <laughs> check, check, check. I know. <laughs> but that was Athanasius, and we don't present him as an. African. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm thinking about. I'm, my mind goes to um, um, biblical church history. Well, and just the, the lie that we've all sort of believed that the gospel was this weapon of the colonizer, right? Right. And, and so then there was no authentic indigenous African Christianity, Christianity. which is yep. not true, but totally fits the pathology of the colonizer mindset. And I think it's just really important to reclaim and say, first of all, you know, that that's just not the history. Some of those Africans who came were already Christians. Mm -hmm. Some of them were, were not Christians, but they had heard about Christianity. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't new to them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, yes, yes. So I think that, that is great because I do, you know, I do meet a lot of people of color who quite rightly, or understandably question, Mm -hmm. like, do I want any part of this tradition that's Mm -hmm. been used in such terrible ways to, mm-hmm. you know, use for evil. And, yeah. you know, I think I talk all the time. It's one of the three things that I feel like people will leave my congregation knowing I talk all the time about being in a lecture um, in seminary. My New Testament professor was lecturing on Romans one and just talking about like the gospel is power, mm-hmm. like what it's power and power is neutral, right? Mm-hmm. So power can be used for good, but it can be used for evil. And mm. we know that the gospel has been used for evil mm. because because power can be misappropriated yeah. in all kinds of ways. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that, especially we who know the story of, you know, Jesus being tempted that, mm. you know, the devil shows up speaking scripture and claiming, yeah. you know, so claiming spiritual authority. So the idea that the gospel has been used um, powerfully for evil ends should should not surprise us and we should not assume that that means that there's no deeper good in it in fact was i reading like a james baldwin quote talking about like the const this is related sort of but like the constitution is like the compass and the country is like the ship and he says that like just because Mm. the ship has gone in all kinds of 
evil and dangerous ways, that doesn't mean that the compass was faulty, yeah. right? And that's yeah. why he was saying, like, mm-hmm. I... I mean, as I read it, he's saying, like, I am a true American, and and the people who have had power have used this tremendous truth of of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to steer the ship in really, you know, terrible and dangerous and evil ways. But that doesn't mean that the compass is wrong. Right. The people who were steering the ship were unfaithful Mm -hmm. to it. And so I think it's related to the history of European colonizers and the gospel and an interesting thing to talk about in black history month, especially to a white congregation getting ready to trying to be ready to receive um, people of colors to be able to say, you need to understand that the gospel went to Africa before it went to Europe. Yeah. And the, the, the work is to say it in a way where we all celebrate it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm not trying to get power over. It's, hey, let me show you some history that you may not be aware of. Or let me show you how um, well, certain paintings from the 15th century influence your thinking about the biblical world. Or all the children's Bibles that you looked at growing up where every single yeah. person was Caucasian. And yeah. we know that we are saying that Jesus was actually born, Jesus mm-hmm. lived, Jesus died and was raised again in a particular time and place, and the white people didn't live there, right? Like, I mean, that, I mean, you you either have to say Jesus is a fairy tale, or you have mm-hmm. to say Jesus is a historical reality, and if you want to say that Jesus is a historical reality, then you have to admit that yeah. Jesus did not look like a Caucasian person, because that's just facts, right? Yes, and, you know, I'm trying to allow for every culture and people when they receive the gospel they begin to illustrate beautifully these biblical stories mm-hmm. um, in ways that look like them and the history has been that one particular group has said not only is this a representation this it's is the, the representation, representation right and so that's what we want to address yeah, because it's perfectly appropriate for, you know, my Caucasian daughters to imagine imagine themselves mm-hmm. into the biblical stories. Mm-hmm. That's great. And it's also just important for them to know that Jesus looked a particular way, and that doesn't make him less like you, right? And like yeah. the fundamental reality yeah. is yeah. that means that you understand, you know, the, the deep belonging mm-hmm. that all people have to God. And, uh, you know, anyways. And the, and the narrative of Acts is the gospel— crossing cultural boundaries. They're always crossing these cultural boundaries and the work that comes with that, you know, all the the dietary laws and there's conflict and they always work through this conflict. And, um, well, and I think for us who, who feel really passionate about creating healthy multicultural in diverse congregations, like the narrative we always get from the culture or from other church leaders is like, oh, that's new, that's radical, it may not work. And the reality is, no, it's not new. It's actually, I mean, it is radical if you look at the Latin root of radical, which means to the root, right? Mm-hmm. In the early church, Paul didn't say, okay, I'm going to start one church over here for the Jews and one church over here for the Gentiles because mm-hmm. they can grow more quickly mm-hmm. if they have a common culture. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, no, no, they do have a common culture and it's not in their Jewishness right. or in their Greekness. Right. 
It's in Jesus. We are one in Christ. Which is why, and if the cult, if your understanding of Jesus can't help you transcend and see your your uh, the inherent dignity of who you are, and also the inherent mm. dignity of people who are unlike you, if your understanding of Jesus can't help you feel connected to that person who's unlike you, then you don't understand Jesus. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if your church is growing or not, because you have missed the gospel altogether. And so I think just reclaiming that. I mean, you when we were there in that transformation process, when we were both working, the they they brought in the outside consultants who specifically told me like in the Grove neighborhood, you're going to have to pick a demographic. So do you want to reach the Latinos? Do you want to reach people who are black? Do you want to reach people who are white, but you can't reach them all. And that was really the only place where I was like, well, I mean, (laughs) that's our neighborhood. So I don't, you know, I don't care. I don't, I don't care if it's possible. I care if it's faithful. Mm. And, and so anyway, that's very interesting stuff. I am preaching judgment and damnation this Woo-hoo! Sunday. So everybody come yes. to the room. Thunder and, hear, and lightning. Hear Amos call Wrath. the women cows of Bashan. <laughs> and uh, no, we're doing a sermon series on Shalom. And so last week we were talking about what Shalom is and we were looking at um, the peaceable kingdom vision from Isaiah you know, on God's holy mountain, they'll neither harm nor destroy, and the wolf lying down with the lamb. I don't. I got my animals wrong, but anyway, this fundamental um, transformation of reality and mm-hmm. what is natural, so that people can coexist um, and without being a threat to one another. And right. now there's enough. There's abundance, um, and and no one has to destroy someone else in order to live and also that this this vision of shalom extends not just to humans but to the natural world right and one thing no one will ever call me is like a nature buff right so it's not like oh i, I you know i personally i'm told i'm sure i've told you the story we've been going too long but like i have this vivid memory in middle school where we i don't I think we had a substitute teacher and the person was just trying to fill time mm-hmm. and so she she had to sit down and like write up like two paragraphs about like our, our most peaceful place. Right. And mm. you're just supposed to write it and then we're going to share it with the class. And so we do. And then she asks for volunteers to share. And like, I'm a total dork. So my, my hand is up first, like talk to people, sign what? me up. Right. So I stand up and I'm like describing my, my ideal, perfect, peaceful place. And I, it's like a white room and it's filled with books and there's a window seat. And like, I can sit there and read whatever that I want. And there's like candy. And, and I remember like, there's a bathroom in the room. Like I was such a oh dumb goodness. kid. Right. Anyway. So I'm like totally unashamedly, like describing my perfect, peaceful place. And then everybody else gets up to share, like reluctantly. Right. Because they're not dorks and they're all like, I'm on a mountainside or I'm overlooking a lake or I'm walking through the forest. And I was like, oh, Uh -oh. like, (laughs) so I'm like, just all to say nature is not my jam, but the witness of Shalom is that it's the natural world too that is transformed and redeemed and that this earth and creation matter and there's not competing interests right between Mm. humanity among itself or humanity and nature um so that was last week what is shalom and then this week is uh, one of the judgments of amos basically coming in and and knocking down this kingdom of israel much in the same way that god you know knocks and scatters the tower of babel to Mm. say like this sort of religious 
nation that you've built for yourself that basically just mirrors back the values of the culture and puts a Yahweh label on it. Like I'm not allowing this to stand because it's not Shalom. And it, and what I think is interesting is, you know, the reasons that Amos gives for, you know, leading the destruction of the people. It's not that they're not religious. It's not that they're not worshiping in the temple. It's not Mm. that they're not making sacrifices or praying or knowing their liturgical history. It's that they are not, they're unjust. Like the Mm. powerful are exploiting the powerless. People are stepping over the poor on their way to worship. They're, you know, they're, they're putting these exorbitant taxes on people. They're exploiting the, the power that they've been given, um, for their, for their own self ends and and God says I'm not having it like yeah. you're not, not in my name and yeah. this kingdom's coming down and I think what I think people struggle with like well how come you know how could a good and loving God you know send someone to prophesy destruction but I mean if if God which God is about restoring creation to Shalom then part of that is destroying these kingdoms of death that we are building in God's name. And if we are the chosen people and we are just choosing to support the ways of the culture and then God doesn't stand for that. And ultimately that's not God punishing us just for the sheer joy of seeing people suffering. That is an act of redeeming. God is destroying what is an illusion and what is a destructive illusion so that people can be set free Mm -hmm. to once again, worship God and not their own power. And so that is when preaching on Sunday. Wow, I might come to the Grove on Sunday. Stop your lies. <laughs> no, it's good. Stop your lies. No, no, I, I, I like those. Whatever. I'm preaching no. destruction, and once again, you're preaching joy. So <laughs> I just feel like, where am I going to go? Damnation or joy? Damnation or joy? Everybody's going to go it's all get joyful at Dorita. Well, we're looking at uh, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, we're in a series called um, Mission Joyful, looking at the parts of our mission statement. And uh, this week, it's the joy of learning. And uh, as I shared with you a little while ago, um, early on when I felt a call to ministry, I thought that meant the monastic life Mm -hmm. and really was thinking about uh, a life in a monastery and was preparing for that and uh, really seriously considering it. Um, because I thought that was really the only way, you know, having um, very little knowledge of of the church or the faith or anything, I thought that was the way to live a life of Christian spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. And um, I was eager to do it. And um, when, it, when I got closer to and closer to pulling the trigger on that, I just kept coming back to, you know, I also feel called to marriage. And so what is that all about? But um, what I want to give the congregation this this Sunday, what I want to offer um, through Romans 12 is this um, this idea that, no, you don't have to go off to a monastery to live a life of discipline, to grow in the faith that this is meant for everyday life and everyday Christians. This is not something for a subset of Christians for the super spiritual. This is for us all. Right. There is no Christian elite. That's right. right? And yeah. and and there really is no such thing as Christian laity. There's mm-hmm. no such thing. Yeah. Like we are all called into ministry. We are all called to be consumed by the glory of God. We are all called to have our whole lives 
be living sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to look different, yes. <laughs> but not, um, you know, not, there's not better or worse mm-hmm. ways. You ever, um, I know we're going super long today, but you know, uh, there's a Babylon radio Babylon, not to be confused with Babylon B, right. But radio right. Babylon <laughs> is this comic strip and they're really funny. Um, and they're really good. They're not snarky. Um, and but there's one comic strip where and like so one of the reoccurring themes is like coffee with Jesus and somebody's having mm. coffee with Jesus and talking about like the real superstars of the faith and like wanting to meet them or whatever and Jesus says something to the effect of like you know the one of the most remarkable um, believers alive today is a woman named Maria who mm. lives in Peru and sweeps streets for a living, right? I mean, just That's this idea good. that, like, you don't... The the things we see, that we notice, that we prize, like, we think that if we're not aware of something, it isn't happening, mm-hmm. and it just belies our, our wrong orientation to see the world through our own individualistic, narrow yeah. perspective as opposed to trying to figure out where God is and get in line with what God sees and recognizing that we're not good, that we are not God. (laughs) So one of the things I'm seeking to do is to set the congregation free from a mentality that says, preacher, we pay you Mm -hmm. to go up on Sinai, Mm -hmm. get filled up with God and then come down and give us that in, Mm -hmm. you know, sips, right? Right, right. But say, no, this is for all of us. You can grow. You can do these things. Right. This is for you. When the whole world is Sinai now, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, sort of in a clumsy way, what we're talking well, about. Well, and we, to- we are the priesthood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, that text begins, therefore, in view of the mercies of God, right? All the stuff about the gospel, Jesus suffering and dying for you. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is not... For some special priesthood, this is for the whole people of God. Yeah, no, and I, I like that. Um, like, I think people are kind of aware and confused by that odd detail of the curtain in the temple being torn mm. at the crucifixion, and I think that's one of those moments. Um, to like, to me, I might, I might talk about that and just sort of say. I think part of the meaning of that is the separation, Mm -hmm. this idea that what is the Holy of Holies can't be seen and is invisible and must be protected. And Mm -hmm. people like that, that is destroyed in the moment of the crucifixion because that is Jesus being glorified and it is visible and Mm -hmm. it's no longer set apart Mm -hmm. or um, reserved for a few, but for all, but for all who are seeking and are willing to receive. So that's very interesting. Well, for real, for real, next time, this needs to be a shorter podcast. (laughs) Sorry, friends.